You ready for Basecamp Fitness's best deal yet? Seven days for $7. That's right, seven days for $7. It's time to double down on your fitness goals and snag this offer before it's gone. Call or text Basecamp Fitness at 913-232-9770 or go to BasecampFitness.com to learn more. The Zone is presented by Guaranteed Foods, delivering all-natural food to Midwestern families since 1958. Enjoy healthier food, more free time, free delivery, and better value. Go to GuaranteedFoods.com. Rolling on to The Zone here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And we're not on the road to the Combine per se, but I know a man who is Matt Verderam joining us now. Uh, I'm Joshua Briscoe. Jason Anderson's out today. Dylan Michaels on the other side of the glass. Matt, I'm realizing now, I don't know if I told you who is uh, sitting in with me today. And if this is a deal breaker, I can definitely have him removed. What's up, Copernicus? Uh, um, Sterling Holmes is here, uh, wiping his mustache off with a uh, paper towel as we speak. Is that going to be a problem for you as like a hostile working environment? Uh, I worked with Sterling for a long time in different capacities, and if that's the worst thing that's happening, I think that we're, we're probably in pretty good shape here. And yet you always leave me, so that has to tell me <laughs> something. <laughs> Uh, you can uh, get Matt's work on SI.com and the Matt Verderam show uh, launched very freshly, very recently and here for the offseason. Matt, before I ask about uh, what's going on in your uh, road to the combine, tell folks about the Matt Verderam show. Yeah, it's, uh, it is a Chiefs-centric podcast that is on Patreon. So if people want to check it out, they can go to my Twitter feed. It's all over there. They can, they can find it there. The new episode today where I become Brett Beach, which I'm sure to Brett is horror. <laughs> and uh, I sit down and, and try to figure out the off season. Oh, uh, yeah, two episodes a week. There's some bonus episodes. There's some uh, mailbag stuff. Um, and it's just, it, it kind of harkens back to my roots now that I'm national on that side. It's just a, it's a chief-centric look at the league. Uh, I've been humbled and somewhat shocked at the uh, support the first couple of weeks. And uh, I hope people check it out. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking to have some pretty, pretty notable guests here over the next few weeks. I think she's definitely excited to hear from. Patreon.com slash Matt Verderam will take you there. Uh, and if you want to hear one first, the Lewis Riddick episode's unlocked for everybody, right? A little, uh, little preview? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had Lewis on on uh, Friday, and he talked about his days in Philadelphia with Brett and with Andy Reid. And he disclosed to me that... Uh, when Brett was younger, he could run a four four forty. What which is just that's right. That's the kind of information he gets Matt Verderam show. We we thought I said to him, "Are you serious?" He's like, "Oh yeah." He's like, "Brett's track guy. Brett, Brett could pick him up and put him down at four four. So I'm at the combine. I plan to ask Brett about this. Good. Um, and we're going to get a public answer. But my understanding is that yes, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs general manager was able to run a four four forty. Back in his, uh, in his youthful days. So, uh, food, food for thought. I can't believe you went from me on the, on the <laughs> Matt Verham show, the first guest of Lewis Riddick. You really moved up in the world, huh? You, well, you don't, you don't want to start out too high. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, you, wanted to, you can go up from me. If this thing goes well, you can credit yourself. And if it goes south, then you're taking the blame. 
If things go well for me, tomorrow I'll be co-hosting the show with Louis Riddick. I would love, I would love to make that trade for, for four hours tomorrow. Um, you are literally on the way to Indy right now, right? Yeah, I'm trying not to get pulled over while I'm on the phone. But yes, I am uh, on I-65, southbound and down, baby, headed in. What uh, before we get to anything combine related? I, I know we've had some version of this conversation many years in the past, but what's the what's the road trip road out, rollout for you right now? Like, do you have a, a certain like salty snack, sweet snack, and a, a liquid of some sort? You just pounding coffee like uh, Dan Campbell? What's the what's the trip plan? Now, I, I pretty much take the uh, the human garbage approach. I, uh, I I gas up and then I I just drive till I get somewhat hungry. I'm not a big breakfast guy, so I kind of like wait till lunch. And then I I just stopped actually like a half hour ago. I had to just get a little extra gas. And I said, you know what? There's a subway here. I'll grab a sandwich and some chips and a drink. So I uh, I did that. I did that. And now I, I, I'm going to try to be a reasonable adult and not eat again until I go out to dinner with some friends tonight because I know when I go out to dinner, I'm going to eat an aggressive amount of food. Is so there... I'm trying to space that bad boy out. We'll see how things play out, though. You've been a longtime defender of Subway uh, across many programs here, and that that, that character development, program, yes. that is that is so powerful to me. It's important to remember your roots. What's wrong, Sterling? Well, he's a New Yorker. Of course he loves Subway. Yeah, so Dylan, I all guess right. you could turn off Sterling's mic if it is easier for all of us, if that's how it's going to be. <laughs> uh, I, the... I feel, you know, I... Like Subway's not really unless I'm maybe I'm missing the boat and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't I don't see Subway as like a regional thing. I, no. I mean Subway's all over the place. But no. Now I will say this: the people up in Massachusetts, Dunkin' Donuts is like an ungodly way of life. I remember once covering a, a Patriots game. I was up there, um, guys in college. I didn't say covering. I was working at Three ESPN as like a just an absolute like, utility, and I'm up there. I was like, well, I'm going to go get lunch. And I passed, like, five Dunkin' Donuts in the span of, like, eight minutes. <laughs> and I finally was like, all right, fine, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll get a bagel. Right? So I, I sit down, and I'm eating a bagel, and I look across the street, and there's another Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> and I was like, what is, like, how many did you need? Like, how many Dunkin' Donuts could you possibly keep in business? The answer is a million. Yeah, all way. of them. Um, uh, it's unbelievable how many Dunkin' Donuts are in the New England area, but that's the area. Not specifically for tailgating or anything, but what's what's the best uh, NFL city for like a food road trip for you? Honestly, I swear to God, it's Kansas City. Yeah, I I love like the Kansas City at this point. New York, my hometown. Outside Chicago now, it's where I live, and you know my my kids' hometown, but like. Kansas City is like an adopted town I never lived in, so every time I go there, I have, I have so many people I see, like the food. But, like, it's always centered around food. It's always like, all right, we're going to Joe's, or we're going to Char Bar, or we're, or we're going to Jack Sack, or we're, you know, I mean, whatever, like, whatever, 239, you name it. There's a million other places I can name, Brian. Like, it's, it's, it's not that there's, like, an eclectic mix of food. Like, you're not yeah. going to Kansas City and getting, like, I'm going to get some Thai food. Right. Like, you're going if you're if you're from out of town. Like every meal I have is barbecue, um, which always amazes me when I go to like cover a game at Arrowhead, and the spread is like hot dogs and chicken tenders, dude. Uh. And you're like, it's Kansas City. <laughs> like, get some barbecue catering. Like, what are we doing? Can we but, get uh, a burnt end? I'll start this back. Yeah, but I, it's just like what I, I I should be. Everybody that go, covers the Chiefs game in Kansas City should be eating burnt ends. 
and brisket watching Patrick Mahal. Like, they shouldn't be sitting there eating a hot dog. But that's that's the hero of that. At least for, like, the national riders and the road team visitors, they've got to get that. If you want to give the locals, like, a salad bar just so we don't, you know, all completely gorge ourselves, but we've, we've figured out how to do, like, the, the self-discipline of a barbecue spread over the years. If you're coming to Kansas City for a game, you should there should be, like, a hibachi-style chef throwing burn-ins at your face. There should be, yes, there should be, like, a live roast outside the stadium where they're bringing it in every half an hour. I, when I go, when I've covered games at Lambeau up in the Green Bay, like when you go there, it is, it is, you know, brats and it's cheese curds. Yeah. And it, it's all like the local flip. And then you go to Kansas City and they're like, chicken tender? <laughs> chicken tender. Like, who, who, like what, what happened here? Like, who did this? Who did this? You know, I have, uh, I have deep mm. concerns about it. Maybe I'll bring that up if I see uh, a couple of the people that I, I, I feel might be responsible for this. I combine. Uh, all right. As far as the combine goes. Whoa! Whoa! Sorry big for your britches. I said you might could be on. Not that you could hop over our chicken strip talk. So I can talk. Sorry. I didn't know. I figured we were done talking. That's you know, not your Sbarro decision. That's not Subway. your decision to make. So, Matt, on to the combine. <laughs> Since you're on your way to Indy, I, I have genuinely been wondering, what should we care about during combine week? Because the the stuff that guys are doing in Indy continues to fluctuate and, by and large, decrease. You see fewer of the big names actually working out there. What matters? Yeah. All right, so let's break down the fourth wall of this a little bit. So, what everybody sees on TV is probably the least important thing of the entire week. Like, most of these guys, now look, there are the, there are the exceptions. They're the guys that are expected to run, you know, four six, and they're on a four four, you know, and, and those guys, and that matters. That, that, it, it shouldn't, but it does. There are guys who run a crazy three cone for all time, like stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. yes, if you are the outlier, then yes. Right? They've been scouting you for years. They've been scouting you since high school. Mm-hmm. Like they know what you're going to run. They know they're, they're, they're not shocked by your height and weight. Like you know, it, it's like when I was I was there years ago. And the big thing was if Kyler Murray was six feet tall, <laughs> and you know they like they basically measured him behind a curtain, and then they came out and they're like six feet. Yeah, like, you know, okay, sure he is. Uh, like I'm six two, and he's clearly not. But in any event, look, I think I think that the the things that NFL people will tell you that matter the most are the medical evaluations and the interviews with the games. Those things matter the most, and then on top of that. Free agency is not slated to start until March 11th. I have news for everybody listening. It's starting tonight. That's when it's starting. Because agents and teams, they will meet at bars. They will meet at hotel lobbies. They will meet in hotel rooms. They will meet out at dinner. Like Free agency, I guarantee you by the time the Cats brothers leave, uh, leave Indianapolis, they're going to know exactly how much they can get for Chris Jones in Kansas City and elsewhere. They're going to know. Like, it's just, it, it may not be exact, like, dollar, but they're going to have a, hey, okay, it's going to be 4 and 110 from this team, and it's going to be 4 and 115 from this team. And, you know, they may not know the exact structure, but they're going to know the money, and they're going to know the years. And so, like, free agency, it starts in earnest today. When it comes to the combine in general, obviously it starts today, ends March 4th. What does the uh, timeline look like? And again, is it not just the combine? There are these behind-the-scenes dealings. What does the combine actually mean overall? Turn this mic off again, Dylan. Yeah, 
So, like, the timeline, you know, tomorrow, Beach and, and Andy Reid are going to talk. And, like, between tomorrow and Wednesday, all the GMs and the coaches that are going to be made available are going to be available, and they're going to be there. They're going to each talk for about 15 minutes. And then coming uh, start on Thursday, you're going to get a lot of the, the player interviews, and they're going to come in by positional groups. And, and for anybody who wants to check it out, that entire schedule is on NFL.com. It's out there. Like when, and, then, and then I believe it starts Thursday night, I think, is when all the actual like, like on-field stuff happens in Lucas Oil, and that runs through the whole weekend, as you mentioned. But again, like I can tell you right now, at 2 o'clock in the morning tonight, or tomorrow morning, wherever you want to frame it, I'm going to be either at a hotel bar or I'm going to be at a steakhouse in downtown where everybody goes. St. Elmo's. And you're going to be learning. You're going to be learning in real time about, hey, this is this is what this guy is going to have as a market. This is what's happening. This is how many teams are interested. All that stuff starts now, and I think that's what makes the combine so fascinating. My last combine adjacent thing before we get into kind of the Brett Vici stuff and, and some of those guys you've already mentioned. Is there anybody at the combine who you are excited or, or interested to see for any reason? Obviously, you're not going to be in for the interviews and the medicals are all kind of hazy. Right. And we, we said, you know, most of these guys' measurables aren't going to change anything. But is there any, any storyline on the field at the combine that has caught your eye so far? I, I would say. The quarterbacks are always kind of the story. Now, obviously, we know, like, Caleb Williams, he's not going to throw, and that's fine. But, like, of that second wave, like, I was at the Senior Bowl. Michael Penix and Bo Nix were not very impressive on the field. They struggled. I am curious to see how they are at the combat. Now, of course, there are games, some practice, different, both of which were excellent in their senior years, but both of which were also in college for an extended period of time. They both were transfers. They both were not good at their original spots. Then they transferred into the Pac-12, and they became God. Like, what does that look like, you know, this, this week? Is it, is it, hey, it's the same? A guy like J.J. McCarthy, you know, what's his stock look like? I, I'm more interested in that second wave. But I, May and Daniels and Williams, like, they're going to be top picks. They're, they're, unless something crazy happens, they're going to be top picks. I'm more interested in that four to six range of the quarterback. And then at receiver, you know you have Marvin Harrison Jr. You know you have Malik Neighbors. You know you have Roma Dunze. Again, that second level of guy. You know, Brendan Rice, Jerry Rice's son. I, I thought it was fascinating out of Mobile. I, I'm looking forward to him here. Pearsall out of Florida is another really interesting guy. Um, I, I'm curious to see the second wave of some of these, these bigger position groups. Does it does it matter at all that Marvin Harrison Jr. is just not showing up at all like that? Even the guys who haven't thrown or haven't run this this seems like at least an extra gear to that, right? Zero. It doesn't okay. matter at all. It doesn't. I mean, the guy was ridiculous. Like, I mean, can you imagine being a GM sitting in your room and like, let's say whatever you're picking, you're picking fourth, okay? Yeah. And he's on the board, and you're like, you know what? He might be the best receiver prospect I've seen in 15 years. But he didn't show up to Indy. Right. So right. I'm thinking a fullback. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, just not, it's not the way. Like, no, I, I don't think it affects him. I really don't. Do you think it could affect the combine at all if the super, super safe, super locked in top end talents eventually just say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save myself the trip? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's very possible. Um, I think, though, as long as guys are doing the interviews and the medical, I think the teams will continue to go. 
I think it's when if guys just flat out are like, I'm not going. And look, yeah. the one thing with the combines changed over the years. You know, people might remember the drills used to be during the day. And then the NFL was like, you know what? We could make an extra eight cents <laughs> if we do them at night. And that sounds like, oh, who cares? Yeah. Agents, trainers, nutritionists were pissed when that happened. Hmm. Like, and are still pissed about it. Because all these guys, I mean, people don't realize how incredibly fine-tuned these guys are for these things. I mean, they're looking at biorhythms and trying to figure out, like, how they can optimize themselves between these couple hours. I know, like, I remember I, I wrote a big story on Aiden Hutchinson and a few other players, and they were coming out of college, and they were, and they were preparing for the combine. I did it from L.A. when I was at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. And Aiden Hutchinson was talking to me about the fact that he's very specific about the type of water that he drinks. And he, hmm. he doesn't drink mineral water because mineral water has extra minerals in it that he already gets from other sources, so he won't drink mineral water. And it's like, I mean, you or I, right? We're picking up any water. I'm picking up water from a river. <laughs> and it's like, hey, whatever. Right. And he's sitting there like, no, it's yeah. got to be distilled. If it's yeah. not distilled, I don't drink it. Like, that's the kind of level you're talking about. That's yeah. That's we're not quite the level of fine-tuned athletes we are, but you know I get it. Uh, we're talking to Matt Verderam. You can uh, check out the Matt Verderam show on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Matt Verderam. Read his work uh, on SI.com. Uh, let's get into some of the Chiefs-focused stuff. You've mentioned Chris Jones and the Cats brothers already. Three of my favorite people to talk about over the course of the off-season. That three-headed monster. Um, listen, one of them is really, really, really important to what the Kansas City Chiefs do, and then two of them also have made themselves important to what that guy will be able to do. What is your expectation? Right Right now, before you've had the hotel bar conversations, before the combine has gotten up and running, what should we be expecting on where the Chiefs are at and where Jones and his camp are at? All right. So, look, the Chiefs right now are sitting at about $17 million worth of space. They cut MVS, which I expect that they'll do. That will bump them up to 29 Then you have the big question of Mahomes' contract. They can restructure it. They can save as much as $37 million additional dollars. Now, I don't know that they need the whole – uh, thirty-seven million. Like I, like I said on my my Patreon show, uh, I broke that down this morning. And, and you know, to give a little teaser, I said, look, if I'm the Chiefs, I'd restructure twenty million of it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do the whole thing. I'd do about half of it. I think that'd be plenty of money for them. Um, but the, the bottom line is, but they're going to have the cap space. Like, if they want to create cap space, they can do it. There's a there's a litany of different things they can do. I asked an agent in the league, a very prominent agent. Um, Give me, a, give me a, a projection for Chris Jones. What do you think his contract is? And I was told the projection he gave me was four years and $110 million, which is $26.5 million a year. Like that, it sounds astronomical, but the real question in that is the guaranteed money. So, like, Aaron Donald's got three and ninety-five, basically fully guaranteed. I do not see any world where Jones is getting $95 million guaranteed. However, the next number is 66. That's what Quentin Williams got. If I'm Jones, I don't care that I'm turning 30 in July. I want more guaranteed money than Quinn Williams because I'm better than Quinn Williams. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're the Chiefs, you're going to have to come in at 70 million guaranteed. That's what I think's got to happen. And if they do that, you can play with the years and the numbers, whatever, however you want to do it. Maybe you go three and 84, and you guarantee him 70 or whatever. But like, I think that's the key number. And the Chiefs, a year ago, were basically willing to say, "Look, we'll give you." Two extra years and fifty-four and a half million, fully guaranteed. Like they, they were willing to 
to go to basically turn it into a three-year, $75 million deal, and, and Jones' Jones camp didn't want to do it. The problem that Chiefs are going to have now is you don't have a ton of leverage here. Like, Jones and A could just say, hey, look, I'm going, I'm going to market. And the only way they can stop that is by tagging him at $32 million, which is astronomical. The only thing, though, they could afford it. Like, Brett Beach could say to the Cash Brothers, hey, look, here's my best offer. And you should really consider it. Because if you don't take it, I'm tagging you. And the offer's only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. That's a dangerous game to play. But there is the real threat to Jones' side that they could tag him. With the cap space exploding, does this help or hurt Kansas City? Because I think the initial reaction is, oh, great, they have now the money to sign Chris Jones to this lucrative contract. But also, this allows other teams to have the same amount of money, a team that maybe is saying, yeah, we, we, we need a Chris Jones. We're one piece away. We need that uh, Super Bowl pedigree. Now their offer right. was going to be 26. Now it can be 29. They have more money to work with. Does the cap space exploding help or actually hurt Kansas City? I think it helps them in one regard. It, it, it guarantees essentially that future cap hits, barring another pandemic, are going to continue to go up. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I think the cap hits, but the, the cap threshold. And so you have less of a hesitancy to push money down the road because the money just doesn't matter as much. Like if I'm, if I'm the Chiefs, I'm more willing to restructure Mahomes and extend Tooney maybe. And that's one thing nobody's talked about, by the way, mm-hmm. is Tooney – I understand he's going to be in his age 32 season. The guy's an all-pro, and he's playing a position that ages pretty well, typically. He's due $26.9 million this year on the cap. What if they gave him a two-year extension? And they lowered that cap hit by $15 million bucks. I mean, like, there are options. Justin Reed, I think, flat out should extend. Yeah. And maybe lower his cap hit to say $7 million. So I think the cap going up helps those causes. Now, that's true, of course, of every team. The one thing that the Chiefs do have with the benefit of Chris Jones, and I don't, there's no arguing this, like, he has been pretty adamant he wants to be there. I don't think they're going to have to outbid everybody. I just don't think they can underbid him. I, I don't think they've got to go above and beyond. I don't think there's bad blood. But, you know, if the Raiders come in and, hey, we're going to offer you 3-90, and 90, and the Chiefs are like, well, we'll give you 3-78, and 78, like they're probably out of luck. Right. They're going to have to either match or get pretty close to it. And they have the money to do it, but they've got to be willing to do it. Last thing on the Jones side for me, it, what do you think the likelihood is that there's a team out there that would offer, I think that number is exactly what I met, a three for 90 and say, we'll give you $30 million per year. Do you think that offer is going to be out there somewhere? Yes. I think it would be out there multiple places. Mm. Yes. Now, I will say this. I'd say multiple places. That, like, like literally might be two. Right. I mean, it's a lot of money. I'm not saying that he's going to get ten offers in that. Like, and, and the hard thing is, at D-tackle, it's, 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 a, it's a position that a lot of guys got paid out last year. So, you know, you have that kind of standard, that fresh, hey, this is, you know, every conference is like 25 points. And then you look at it, okay, well, this year there's, Matt Abike, who might be coming out of Baltimore, though mm-hmm. I, I think he'll get tagged, but he might not. Christian Wilkins, who might get out of Miami because Miami's in a, in a bad way cap-wise. He's a great player. Maybe he gets out of town. And so maybe there's guys that you look at and go, hey, listen, I love Chris Jones, but he's, this guy's younger and he's cheaper. And so you might go that route. I, I don't think he's going to have a massive bidding war for him because it's just, look, not too many teams are going to give $30 million a year 
through a defensive tackle turning 30. But I'll tell you right now, I used him specifically earlier. If I'm the Raiders, I'd absolutely give him four years and $120 million. Hmm. I would. Because to me, it's like, well, then you have him and Crosby, you take him from the Chiefs, you know, you, you have a mentality, you bring over the experience, you, you set a, a new a new tone in the building. I think, you know, there are teams that would do it. And that's why I think if you're the Chiefs, it's a weird thing because you're, you're going to tag him or, or Snead. I can't imagine them not tagging one of them. But I think there's a far better chance that Snead goes to market and the Chiefs can resign him anyway because they'll just match whatever the best offer is. I think that's more likely than if Jones goes to market, the Chiefs are going to have to pay some ungodly amount. And I just don't know that they would do it. That being said, it's probably more prudent to tag Snead because Snead is $19.8 million and Jones is 32. So it's a very, very interesting situation that Brett Beach is looking at. Yeah, so let's slide over to Snead then, because I've been kind of under that assumption that that it makes so much sense to, chat, to tag Snead, where if he, if he plays out the year on the franchise tag, that's cool with me. If they tag him, and I don't know what, what the market would be for this, I'd, I'd be curious to know what you think. If they tag him and get a trade offer they like, that would be fine with me. If they tag him and get a long-term deal, that would be fine with me. It, there, there's not like a disastrous outcome for me on, on Legereus Snead if they do tag him. It does mean that they lose that leverage with Jones. So, what's your feeling on Snead right now, and what that market's going to look like? So, with Snead, and one quick note on this tag: so the deadline's March fifth. I have a feeling, unless there's some kind of communication breakdown, one of these guys, the Chiefs are probably going to wait till March fifth hmm. because you want to keep that leverage as long as you possibly can. Now, that of course changes if all of a sudden, you know, in an hour from now, they're like, "Hey, Chris Jones is back." Right. Then right. What the, you, know, you might as well tag Snead and move on. But if not, then I think this, this might be something that goes on for a little while here. We're playing a game of chicken. Um, I asked another agent, um, in fact, a couple of agents, about Snead. Give me a projection. And I was basically given a projection of 3 and $45 million, which I got to tell you, if I were the Chiefs, I would sign into that yesterday. Yeah. Like, I, hmm. I will be up front to say, I believe that's low. I think that's low. But... Uh, the other one was like four and fifty, which is even less. So I mean, I now that was during the playoffs. I believe that was right before the Bills game. I got those projections. I don't know that that I think that that's right. I, I give I gave my own projection. I think he's more like this four years sixty, which again is fifteen a year. But I think he, I, I think he's young enough. He might get an extra year out of that, which means more guaranteed money. Look, if you're if you're Steve's representation, you're looking at this and going, all right. If I get two tags, like this for a round number, this one's $20 million, and then the following year would be 24 So we're starting at $44 million guarantee. Mm-hmm. That's where we're starting at. And I'm not taking any less than that. Like I, If I'm his representation, I'm shooting for 20 a year. I don't think he's going to get there. But I would be asking for like 3 and you know, 54 and 45 guarantee, something yeah. like that, which – you know, if you're the Chiefs, I think you consider it. But I would be shocked if they don't tag at least one of these guys. And Snead obviously makes the most sense, considering his cap number is a lot lower. With Legereus Snead, is some of the reason why his contract might be lower because he's going to be 20, or he is 27. He's already 27 years old as a cornerback hitting the, the open market. Now, I obviously understand... Um, it's hit and miss here. I was liking them to closers in baseball. One year they can be great, one year they kind of fall off. But I think one name that always gives me a little bit of cause to pause is uh, Namdi Asamoah. 
right? All of a sudden, he hits 29, then 30, falls off the face of the earth. Went from the best corner in football to all of a sudden he is um, a bum, if you will. Legereus Sneed, though, I don't see him falling off, but with cornerback at such a up-and-down position, is this one of those situations where you sit back and say, it might be a little risky giving him a three- or four-year contract based on his current age already? Um. Depending on structure, yeah, sure it could be. I mean, I also remember that this entire summer he couldn't practice because his knee hurt. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the real thing. Like, is that knee good? Is that knee going to hold up for the next handful of years? Is that not a big deal? Is that a maintenance thing? I mean, to be fair, the one we played the whole season, even though it was on the injury report at times, he played great. Right? Didn't miss any time. So you could certainly argue, hey, look, that's a, that's a non-factor. Um, I think the big question here is going to be, do the Chiefs view Lejarius Sneed as a need or a want? Mm-hmm. I think Chris Jones is a need. If yeah. they don't have Chris Jones, they have the three of us at defensive tackle. <laughs> yep. Okay? Not great. They have Chris Jones at defensive tackle. They could have the three of us alongside of him. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> right? Sneed, as great as he was this year, they have Trent McDuffie. They have Jalen Watson. They have Joshua Williams. Like, they... And they've proven they can develop corners like crazy. Yep. Now, I would argue that, hey, you know what the best scenario is? Both of them. Yep. And if that means losing a guy next year like a Trey Smith, if Trey Smith is excellent, I'll live with it. You know, if that means losing Tooney after this year and you sign Smith and Humphrey, okay. Because the one thing that Snead and McDuffie as a pair give you that no other corner tandem does, they give you versatility like nobody else. They can play inside, outside, press man, off man, zone coverage. They tackle in space. They tackle at the line of scrimmage. They're both great blitzers. I mean, that gives Spagnolo so much freedom to just do whatever he wants. Because they can, I mean, look at the Super Bowl. How many times is they going to have a game? They just lined up in man coverage. Like, Beat us. Do it. More and than ever before it. in the Spags era, right? <laughs> I mean, I think statistically yeah. that's literally true. They, they lined up in man in the second half and overtime of that game and just said, throw it. Do it. Don't care that you have Debo Samuel. Don't care that you have Brandon Ayuk. I mean, they were to the point in the second half of that game, there were snaps that, that Samari Connor was on George Kittle. Yep. Man on man. And they, they didn't care. They had no fear of it. And I think you lose that. As good, look, I like Dale Watson. He's a good player. But – you're probably not ultra-confident putting Watson on, on Brandon IU one-on-one. You are with LeJarrius. You don't care. There's no fear of it. So, uh, I, And by the way, I will say this quickly. The idea that they can't sign both guys is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Like, they absolutely can sign both guys. They could eat, they, I, I, and like fairly easily. Uh, I, they, they could do it. But then, yeah, it probably is going to mean that down the line, yeah, you're going to have to let a guy go that probably you don't want to let go. That, that's the reality Last thing on Snead, do you have any sense whatsoever as to what his trade value may be if the long-term numbers aren't quite right or if the Chiefs tag him and want to get value for him? Because I, I am in very a very similar space to you where I, I think both of these guys continuing to be Chiefs for the long haul might end up being the best play. But if they if they end up getting an offer on Snead, do you have any idea where that, that offer might come in? Second round pick. Yeah. I, I think probably, I, mean, I don't think he's going to get the first. Yeah, I mean, right. Because if you tag the guy and you're trading him, everybody knows you have no leverage. Yep. So, um, you know, like the Tyree Hill thing was so different. I think that kind of warps people's perception. Mm-hmm. He wasn't tagged. Like that, that was, he's on a contract and we're close to an extension, but like, hey, now all of a sudden Christian Kirk got paid like he's Jerry Rice. 
and Devontae Adams' deal happened, and everything blew up. I and mean, they were days from signing that extension. I remember extensively reporting on that, and, and it was, I mean, it was almost a done deal. And then all of a sudden, the Chiefs said, okay, well, you know what? We're going to trade Tyreek Hill. We have him under contract. Like, a guy like Darius Sneed, as great as he is, A, is not a generational talent like a Hill. B, it's not tag. So, yeah, I think they'd get a day two pick for him. And I, I think that, that would be about it. If it was a, a higher second rounder, it would be interesting. I know we'll certainly have plenty of time to uh, to talk about that and dissect the options as we get closer to the draft. Matt, I appreciate you uh, carving out a little bit of time of I'm sure beautiful, beautiful highway to uh, to chat with us in route to Indy. If you want to read Matt's work from the combine, go to si.com and then check out the Matt Verderam show for even more on the Chiefs and uh, Verderam getting back into the uh, red and gold a little more there. The Matt Verderam show, patreon.com slash Matt Verderam. Matt, appreciate it. Good luck making it all the way to dinner tonight. Thanks. I'm going to have to get through about 800 windmills I'm staring at right now. So, <laughs> awesome. Take care, guys. Count them up and uh, and stay awake. Matt Verderam, he's got places to be. I love it when he does it. And, like, we know he's driving. He's on an iPhone. I, I, his texts are blue. Why does it make that sound when you hang up? He touched a touch screen. It's unlike he was throwing a rotary down. I don't oh, get it. It's an old-time phone, just the click. That was the most satisfying when you had the like, old phone or the flip phone, and you're really angry at someone, and you just shut that bad boy. Okay, you weren't... I thought you were about to say it was great. The old rotary phone, you slam that headset down because Not you're that old. 29 years old. Yeah, I didn't right? have that. We're both no. 20. Yeah. Dylan, how old are you? Are you 30? I'm close. I'm 29 in March 27. Are we just 329 boys right here? Wow. Look at us. Parents are gone. No Jason here. We're just the kids taking over. Babysitter isn't home. Mick's not here yet. <laughs> That's and, and and Mick is the babysitter who does bring booze with him. And you're like, can you? Is this are you, Uncle Mick? Uncle Mick for go. sure. Uncle Mick will join us at one o'clock. Uh, we'll keep it rambunctious at noon with Josh Kaiser of KCSN, the One Royal Way podcast. Uh, but a ton of interesting stuff there from Verderam and uh, a whole bunch of other things from around the Chris Jones conversation. A little bit of audio I think you guys will find interesting and uh, if it works for you guys I think we keep uh, talking about the Chiefs and offseason stuff and all of that because that's the spot we're in right now baby and I I will tell you I don't want to get too big for my britches but sources say that there is a possibility that we could take a break and then could potentially come back and talk more about the Kansas City Chiefs you could hear that next potentially wait are we taking a break or are you Florio we could potentially be taking a break Okay. as soon as today, as soon as right now, when we would then have the potential of coming back next in the zone. Thanks again to Matt Verderam for joining us here in the zone. Joshua Briscoe, Sterling Holmes, and Dylan Michaels, the crew here today. Jason Anderson out today and tomorrow. So we let Sterling out of his cage. He's been here just peeing all over everything. I got a squirt bottle. When you hand me that Windex, <laughs> you get out of line. Just a little... Tasmanian devil, I think it's kind of... If I were an animal, probably that. Two Tasmanian devil-related things, because I'm great at just word association, because my uh, brain's bad. Um, one is that one of my most uh, traumatic, documented early childhood memories was at the Wichita Fall Festival, when I am a sources close to the situation reportedly uh, told me that I said as the Tasmanian devil mascot, like full costume and everything was was roaming around that I in tears was just mumbling to my mom. No more devil. No more devil. <laughs> I was 17 years old. 
Uh, look at that picture. That, that looks like me. Bit. The other thing that reminds me of was during when when Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift were in the uh, was it the Sydney Zoo last week. Somebody tweeted, uh, "Imagine how fun it would be to explain marsupial facts to Travis Kelsey. Like imagine getting to tell him the Tasmanian devil's a real animal." And I thought that's a that's a pretty funny idea. Still, I didn't think it was that funny. That's okay. It's pretty good. I guess it's pretty good. Yeah, it's an audio medium, so I try yeah. to like chuckle with some <laughs> little ha. <laughs> you nailed it. You you started throwing the Jerry Sneed takes in my face the second we broke last segment. Yes, and so correct. I'm here to invite you into talking about Legarius Sneed um, because I I have like 33 percent of my brain in three thirds of this camp right now. Um, I am very open to lots of options. The thing I don't want to see happen is the Chiefs lose Legarius Sneed just to straight free agency and and not get anything in return for the work that they put in to develop him and the player that he has become. Where do you stand right now on the Legarius Sneed? Uh, the, the, the dichotomy right now, you have the options. Tagging, letting him walk, working on a long-term deal. Obviously, some of that can overlap. Yeah, I, I think at worst, you're getting something back. At worst, it's a franchise tag and then a trade. Um, as much as I love Legarius Sneed and I want to see both Chris Jones and Sneed here in a Chiefs uniform for the foreseeable future, he's 27 years old. Again, as a cornerback with the knee injury that we have seen in the past, mm-hmm. there should be at least some alarms. Mm-hmm. Not saying it's uh, the biggest alarm because let's be real now he played through it all season long and he was phenomenal he should have been an all pro but this is something to at least keep in the back of your mind what it comes down to for me is the Chiefs have found the ability to consistently identify and develop talent at cornerback at one point Legereus Sneed was that unheralded fourth rounder from Louisiana Tech right Mm -hmm. this should give you some confidence that they can find and develop talent here why would you not spend money on a position where you struggle to find and identify talent you cannot develop quite as well there that for me is a reason why if you have to move on from Legereus I'm not going to sit here and be worried I think he's more of a want then he is a need in the words of Matt Verderam. To me, Chris Jones is a need. I get the age. I get the fact that um, that might be alarming, the fact he did sit out week one because he wanted his money. Mm-hmm. I get all of that things. The only defensive tackle under contract for the Chiefs right now, Neil Farrell. Yeah. It's Neil Farrell. Okay? They got a couple of future deals. I think Matt Dickerson's got a future deal. Matt, is that helping? Matt is that helping? and Isaiah Bugs. Bugs! Don't get me wrong. I, I think Bugs could be at least a rotational guy. He's not Chris Jones. I'd rather have Taz, personally. So so I'm sitting here going, yeah, that's pretty good. I gave you a little bit there. I was kind of on a roll, and I was trying to keep going. This and thing I'm, on? Power through. Power through. Power now through. I, I lost my train of thought. That's all, folks? No, no, it's not. A- Bam. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Dylan, for massaging my ego. Sterling, back to you. Great points. You already have an all-pro corner. Now it's a slot corner, which I think should be at least brought into the equation here. Trent McDuffie so far is a first-team All-Pro slot corner. That's not outside. Legereus Sneed is an outside corner. Mm -hmm. So it's not just one-for-one there. Mm -hmm. But you do have Josh Williams. You do have Jalen Watts. And at some point, if you trust your development, take the training wheels off. You have to trust Josh Williams. You have to trust Jalen Watson. Right? I'm not saying you don't draft a guy or develop another guy, bring another veteran in at some point, uh, a la Abishad Breland. But if you're paying $15-plus million a year for a cornerback at a position where you've consistently identified and had growth there, why do you bring back Dave Merritt? Why, 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 why do you trust Spags, then? You can do it with anyone. Um, I want Snead here, but at the end of the day, I think it's a want, not a need. Yeah, I, I follow along similar lines, and again, I am... 
I'm not going to be like soothsaying if they get this deal done of, oh, this is a deal they're going to regret, especially at those numbers that Verderam was saying that he had heard from agents, that he himself, again, Verderam saying he thinks these numbers are a little bit low. But if the offer is three for 45, I mean, he was talking about, what, 44 guaranteed, essentially, kind of combining the double tag option as a, a little baseline there. If we're talking three for 45, especially if the first two years of that are guaranteed and the third one's kind of a little funny money, if, if it's four for 50 at a lower average annual value, but your first two and a half years are all completely guaranteed, essentially, I'm here for all of that. I, I really thought... Before this season is when I would have made my biggest bet on LeJarrius Sneed not being back with the Chiefs because the knee thing just barking through the offseason gave me some Juju Smith-Schuster vibes of like, hey, there's a player they loved having who went and signed a reasonable deal somewhere else who the Chiefs were out on in large part because of the knee situation for Juju. We have precedent for that, for them being willing to walk on players that they really value. I have a hard time skipping a year in the future and going, wow, the Chiefs have completed their three-peat and they did it without Chris Jones. That's a very hard thing for me to imagine right now. And yeah. and that's just, that is it is a combination of, of two things. It is his individual impact as a player and the void he leaves if he's not around. I'm with you on, like Jason, Jason was saying last week, he's fully on Team Joshua Williams there. And the Chiefs drafted Joshua Williams. It was like a five-spot difference from when they drafted Legereus Sneed. Similar ranges for both of those guys. Williams was more of the, the um, measurable investment, and Jalen Watson was bringing another guy in here, and, and Watson playing at a higher level in, in college, gets in the mix a little earlier in the pros. But I think Joshua Williams is still a long-term investment they like. Shamari Connor, uh, these roles are all changing. There's a lot sure. of flexibility here. But the, the Chiefs are playing more three-safety stuff in the playoffs, even without Brian Cook in that mix. Shamari Connor ends up taking a, a big step, and what they ask their defensive backs to do can, can cross over some. I do believe that whatever corner they take in the fourth round this year is going to end up being an impact player by the playoffs. It's It has, it has been a a path to success every single time they've done it. There's not a miss on that list. Even Rashad Finson was a six-rounder who was yeah. getting meaningful yes. Super Bowl snaps. Yes. He and then he got released. Or he traded, traded for very little. Yeah. But yeah. I think it was a seventh-rounder. It was conditional and, stuff and, and, because and, you have all the rookies right and, behind him. And again, it's because what this Chiefs team can do, identifying as well as developing and having them be useful in their scheme. Nazi Johnson looked like during OTAs and training camp before he got injured that he was going to take a massive step forward. They have yeah. a seventh rounder they drafted in Nick Jones. Again, I'm not saying these guys are luxurious, Sneed, but they have depth there. You do not have depth at all on the defensive line. Yeah. The injury to Charles Minahu, by the way, opens Sneed. up another void, a more immediate void uh, of necessity that you're going to have to try and, and wiggle with. And again, that's why I keep saying with the cap space exploding, how much does it help KC versus Hurt? Mm -hmm. Because, again, it's great on the, yay, more money to play with, but also every other team does. And when you have teams like the Bears or teams that are trying to get better, the, the Panthers, who are going to have so much money to throw around the Commanders, well, they're going to overpay for these guys. We've seen it before. We'll see it again. It's why Miami was able to go in and get Tyree Kill. They were able to offer more money. In your guys' opinion, how close is this? Because I don't want to disparage the Jerry Sneak because he's awesome. If you've watched the divisional round or uh, wild card round franchise episode, he is a menace on the mm -hmm. field, and it definitely uh, affects people's headspace. But how close is this to the Penny Suel, um Jamar, Jamar Chase, Chase uh, conversation? Uh, yeah, where yeah, yeah. Anybody, Jamar Chase, anybody, yeah. Penny Suel kind of thing. And I don't want like 
it's just me thinking about those. Panay Sewell's a great football <clears throat> player, too. This isn't derogatory. Uh, yes, yeah. both of them are. It's like I just think of those three plays that were touchdowns, the Josh yep. Allen one and the two in the Super Bowl. Yep. I mean, it's it's it kind of feels like that. Yeah, I, I, I think that's kind of where I'm at, too, where if I'm given the opportunity to prioritize, if if you told me you can either flip a coin on Chris Jones and LeJarrius Sneed, or you flip a coin on Chris Jones and you get to lock down LeJarrius Sneed, or lock down Chris Jones and flip a coin on LeJarrius Sneed, I would lock down Chris Jones and then work with the space that's left around me there. The other part of that... Where again, I think I think all three of us are on the same page and kind of like finding similar similar footing. The Chiefs are down a pick right now. They have their own first, second, third, and fourth. Dallas is fifth, no sixth, and then a, a seventh rounder. And I guess there's a compensatory it could be still coming. Wiley, I guess but, Andrew White was a starter, but then it goes back. Juan Thornhill they, played enough, yeah. but they lose they lose some math with McCall Hartman, all of that. I am not saying that I am thrilled about Legereus Sneed getting traded for a second round pick if that's what it ends up being. Or maybe it's a couple of later picks. But one I think the real secret key of this defense has been George Karloftis, Trent McDuffie, Legereus Sneed to this point, so many all of those rookie defensive backs, Brian Cook, the rookie contracts and the young guys who they've been able to trust, that keeps your, your bottom dollar down. You can have your top-heavy Chris Jones, even your Legereus Sneed contracts, if you're nailing these picks and you're filling out your roster with rookie contracts. The Chiefs have less ammo to do that with right now than they've had over these last couple of years, and I want them to be able to continue that process. I don't think they can move up from 32. I think moving up is not an option because you're going to have even fewer darts to throw there, even if you're only moving, you know, if you're moving your third and your first, you've really tied your hands. All of that to me is is left tremendously interesting because I don't think the Chiefs are going to have other options for loading up on draft picks in a way that I'm expecting as of right now. I didn't think they would pre-Tyreek Hill trade that way either, I suppose, but I am I am very hopeful about how this defense can stay young and stay fresh. If Chris Jones is still a part of it. Without him, it all gets a little nerve-wracking. I'm interested in keeping Snead as well. we got to take a timeout when we come back. We can put a bow on this conversation. Talk some baseball coming up at noon with Josh Kaiser. More Zone next. You may have heard us talk about this or heard Steven's uh, promo that, that runs during commercial breaks, but Sports Radio 810 WHB and the Kansas City radio community have been working together to honor Lisa Lopez-Galvin, the beloved DJ who lost her life in the senseless violence following the victory parade, and 23 radio stations have come together with one common goal, to raise money for Lisa's family and all the other families hurt on that day. So if you're hearing about this for the first time now, want to know how you can help, and so, so many people have been asking about over this last week or so, you can head over to Sports Radio 810's Facebook page to find links to donate to the victims and their families. The post there should be pinned up on the top of the 810 Facebook page. So check it out there on the Sports Radio 810 Facebook page to support the families and the victims because we are Kansas City Radio and we are stronger together. 